Hey guys, I'm your host Z and welcome to She Is. So She Is is a weekly podcast where I share my thoughts on contemporary issues and news headlines relating to women's rights, empowerment and law. If you're new, welcome. If you're a returning listener, how fun now. I usually give a little disclaimer before going into each episode, so I would just like to state that this podcast is based on materials I came across during my research. I may include my views, but I mean no disrespect to any individual or group I discuss here. This podcast is mostly for educational purposes to share with you, my amazing listener, what is really going on around the world with particular reference to women's rights. On this episode, I'll discuss sexual trafficking and its impacts on human rights. So I'm not sure how many people really understand the problem that is international or cross-border sex trade. It has been called a form of modern slavery because of the way victims are forced into sexual acts. Trafficking is a crime as well as a violation of human rights. And to put this problem into context too you know, help you understand how big the issue is. Approximately 800 people are trafficked across international borders annually. And of these 800 people, 80% are women or girls and 50% are minors or children. The global sex trade is the fastest growing form of commerce worth over $32 billion annually and in 2011, the International Labour Organization reported that over 20 million people were subjected to forced labour and 22% of these 20 million, that's about 4.5 million, are victims of forced sexual exploitation. The International Labour Organization also reported in 2016 that of the estimated 25 million people in forced labour, 5 million were victims of sexual exploitation. The International Labour Organization has also estimated that the global commercial profit for sexual slavery is at about $99 billion. And these figures keep getting worse with each year. But due to the secrecy of sex trafficking, accurate statistics are pretty difficult for researchers to obtain. Women are most commonly trafficked to Belgium, Italy, Lebanon, Libya, the Netherlands, Spain, and even the US. I heard of a country, I believe India, where about 10 to 15 virgin girls are put into a container, you know like those metal containers that are used to import and export goods. If you live in a coastal region that is also heavy on import and export transactions like Lagos, you would understand what I'm saying. So these girls are put into these containers with oxygen masks because obviously there won't be enough air circulation when the doors are closed. They are given diapers, food and water. These girls eat, sleep, poop and may even have their periods in the same container for the next 12 to 13 days. And like this isn't even enough. The girls will be injected with drugs sometimes to keep them relaxed or get them hooked on the drugs. So they, that's the perpetrators, use this newly formed addiction as a form of control over the girls. Many victims use these drugs as a coping mechanism because you can only imagine what they will be going through during the um, whole exploitation period. After the first client has had sexual relations with the girl or the girls, they will sew the girl's genital area up to create an illusion of virginity and resell the same girl for the same amount as with the first client. And this happens over and over again until they are basically done and have literally used the life out of the girls and they even go for another set of girls because for them this is a lucrative business so this is a vicious cycle that goes on and on and on and during my research i found out that there are many forms of sex trafficking but i'll just briefly explain about five 
I'll also explain or try to explain their modus operandi to help us avoid falling victims and also help others around us. So the first is the pimp control trafficking where traffickers will use force, drugs, emotional tactics as well as financial means to get control over their victims. They will even resort to violence like gang rape, mental and physical abuse and may even offer the victims marriage or modeling careers to get more victims. At other times, they use intimidation, brainwashing and kidnapping and a common process is for the trafficker to first gain the trust of the victim. This stage is also called the grooming stage. They want to make the victim dependent on them financially through drugs as I mentioned earlier and other means. The trafficker may even go as far as expressing love and admiration, making promises like marriage or even making the victim a star, offer them job opportunities. So once the victim is comfortable, the pimp moves to the seasoning stage as from the grooming stage where, they, where the pimp makes the victim comfortable to the next stage where they will ask the victim to perform sexual acts for the pimp, which the victim may do to keep the trafficker's affection like you know, we'd already mentioned that they would make lofty promises of marriage or job opportunity or traveling. So for the victim, in the victim's mind, to keep the perpetrator or the pimp interested in them enough to redeem their promises, they do whatever they possibly can to keep the pimp's interest in them. Sometimes those who traffic young girls are often women who have been trafficked themselves. They use personal relationships and trust to recruit additional girls. You know how these very rich aunties from your village living abroad that nobody knows source of um, wealth and many people send their children to her for quote-unquote training without even knowing that this rich auntie may initiate their children into sexual trafficking. So they get exploited because of their misconception of what the conditions are that they are going to meet there. That's in the new destination country. Next, we have the gang control trafficking. Well, the gang control tra sex trafficking and the pimp control sex trafficking run their operations in very similar ways. The main difference between the two is that the gang control trafficking is run by a large group of people, while the pimp control trafficking is run by just one person. So gang members are expected or may even be forced to participate in illegal and violent tasks, including distribution of drugs, robbery, extortion, murder. The gangs may make larger amounts of money quicker and are less likely to get caught. In certain circumstances, gangs may team up with other gangs in the area and work together as a sex ring to increase profits and have a greater variety of options to choose from as per wider markets. And like in pimp control trafficking, gang traffickers typically select and groom their victims by establishing trust through giving gifts, praise and attention to create a psychological and emotional connection between the victim and the trafficker. And it's sometimes referred to as the Romeo method as per Romeo and Juliet and the, the perpetrator or the um, trafficker use these avenues to also learn about the victim's weaknesses so they can find out about their vulnerabilities and once they find that soft spot they use it against the victims. Next we have the familial trafficking where the victim is controlled by family members who allow them to be sexually exploited in exchange for something of value like drugs or money. It's usually drugs or money that um, motivates trafficking generally. Now familial trafficking is the most common in the trafficking of minors. For example, a mom may allow a boyfriend to abuse a child in exchange for housing. A study found that 60% of all child victims are related to their sex trafficker one way or the other. Another study reveals that the familial trafficking is mostly headed by the mother. That's the mother of the child being trafficked. I'm like, what the? So, um, 
in 64.5% of the cases, the mother was the primary trafficker, while the father was the primary trafficker in about 32.3% of the cases. In the remaining 3.2% of the cases researched, another family member besides the father and the mother were the trafficker. Now, familial trafficking may be difficult to detect because these children often have a larger degree of freedom and may still attend school and even extracurricular activities. But these children may not understand that they are being trafficked or may not even have a way out. Familial trafficking is considered by some to be the most prevalent form of human sex trafficking within the US, although this form of sex trafficking is also extremely common outside the US. Now, many families from impoverished areas like India, Thailand, and Philippines find themselves in situations where death or even tradition calls for the selling of a loved one, most especially females. In Thailand, there's Bung Kun. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. But this tradition establishes that the youngest daughter is financially responsible for her parents as they grow old. And I read the report of an interview with a Thai victim who stated that although she hated the men she was with, she was still proud to fulfill her duty to her parents in the form of the tiny payments that the brother owner sent to her father after her debts were repaid. Now, Thailand is just one of the many countries whose lower class turned to this form of income. Now, many children are sold to repay debts or even to put food on the table for their family for as little as a month. Next, we have the cyber sex trafficking, which involves the live streaming of oral sexual acts and or rape on webcam. Victims are abducted, threatened, or deceived and transferred to what they call cyber sex dens. And perpetrators usually use social media networks, video conferences, pornography video sharing websites, and so on and so forth, including dating websites self. This type of sex trafficking has surged since the development of online payment systems and cryptocurrencies that hide the transactors' identities. So obviously, new laws and procedures fighting cyber sex trafficking need to be developed in this century. Lastly, we have the first marriage, which is a marriage where one or both participants are married without their freely giving consent. First marriage is a marriage involving a person being sold, transferred or even inherited into that marriage. And this is not restricted to particular nationalities or countries. A forced marriage qualifies as a form of human trafficking in certain situations. For example, if a woman is sent abroad, forced into the marriage, and then repeatedly compelled to engage in sexual conduct with her so-called new husband, then her experience is that of sexual trafficking. If the bride is treated as a domestic servant by her new husband and or his family, then this is a form of labor trafficking. Do you get the distinction? Last, last, owner trafficking. It was estimated that approximately 140 million girls under the age of 18, which is about 39,000 a day, will be forced into early marriages between 2011 and 2020. But I was able to really confirm if the, um, the estimation aligned with the reality eventually. First marriage, which is identified by the United Nations as a contemporary form of slavery, occurs without the full consent of the man or the woman and is associated with threats by family members or the groom or the bride. So that is either the bride threatening the groom into the marriage or the groom threatening the bride into the marriage. Now just for information, there's no single or simple profile for victims of human trafficking. Although most are women, yes, granted, it's not uncommon for males to be trafficked as well. 
Victims are captured, then exploited all around the world, representing a diverse range of ages and backgrounds, including ethnic and socioeconomic differences. However, there's a set group of traits associated with a higher risk of becoming trafficked, and persons at risk include the homeless, runaway youth, foreign nationals, especially those of lower socioeconomic status, and those who have experienced some form of abuse, whether physical, emotional, or sexual, those who have experienced trauma, neglect, poor academic success, and so on. Also, a study of a group of female sex workers in Canada found that about 64% of them had been in the child welfare system as children, including foster care and group homes. And more than 50% of domestic minor sex trafficking victims have a history of homelessness. So you can, if you look at these um, figures and this research um, outcome, you can see that there are similar traits running through. Now, children are at a high risk because of their vulnerable characteristics like naive outlook, their size, and tendency to be easily intimidated. And the International Labour Organization estimates that of 20 million people who are trafficked in the world, 5.5 million are children. In 2016, it was estimated that approximately 1 million children worldwide were victims of sex trafficking. Both boys and girls may be trafficked, like I mentioned earlier, though girls are more frequently victims. Now, trafficked people face a wide range of human rights violations and health consequences similar to women exploited for labor purposes and people who have experienced domestic violence. Their sexual and health rights are violated, even freedom of movement and association and so many other freedoms and rights. Eventually, their right to life may even be violated when the perpetrators decide that they are done with the women and may kill or otherwise dispose of them. There are many other human rights most relevant to trafficking and I'll just mention a few. So trafficking generally violates the right to not be discriminated on the basis of race, sex, religion, opinion or other status, the right to liberty and security, to not be subjected to slavery, servitude or forced labor. It also goes against the right to not be subjected to torture cruel or inhumane treatment or punishment, the right to be free from violence, it goes against the right to the highest attainable standard of physical and mental health, it goes against the right to just and favorable conditions of work, and so much more. Sexual trafficking also has mental health implications that range from depression to anxiety to post-traumatic stress disorder due to the abuse and violence victims face from their pimps or the violators. Now moving on to the international efforts that have been put into fighting sex trafficking. Many of the practices associated with modern day trafficking are clearly prohibited under international human rights law. For example, human rights law forbids death bondage, forced labor, slaves, servitude, child sexual exploitation, forced marriage and so much more. International pressure to tackle trafficking in women and children emerged in the United States and Europe during the late 19th century. The first formal international research into the issue was funded by John D. Rockefeller, an American philanthropist, and the League of Nations, which eventually transformed into the United Nations, took over as the international coordinator of laws aimed at ending the trafficking of women and children. And we have so many conferences, laws, we have so many treaties, all aimed at prohibiting sexual trafficking or even trafficking in any form or shape. 
Many countries, particularly African countries, have been criticized for their inaction or ineffective action, if any. Some of these criticisms include the failure of governments to properly identify and protect victims that are trafficked, the enactment of immigration policies like deportation, which potentially revictimize victims. Research shows that many campaigns focus on the narrative of the victim as being vulnerable and weak rather than focusing on the actual crime of trafficking and the economic system that allows these trafficking endeavors to flourish. And according to this research, these narratives disempower trafficked people through repeated language of vulnerability and innocence. So it's like they're not even looking at the crime itself, they're just looking at the person of the victim. They are looking at the victim as being vulnerable and weak instead of attacking the illegality of the trafficking. So how do we handle this issue of sex trafficking? First and most importantly, we can work to raise awareness. Governments can raise awareness among potential victims, particularly in countries where human traffickers are very active or even mildly active. Secondly, they can raise awareness among the police, social welfare workers and immigration officers to help them to deal appropriately with the problem, particularly the victims. In countries where prostitution is legal or semi-legal, Governments can raise awareness among the clients of prostitutes to watch out for signs of human trafficking victims. Because, come on, these trafficked victims are not having whatever relations with ghosts. They are meeting up with humans who should notice one or two things and realize that, okay, this is not normal. So, in light of these crises, social movements, organizations, and even government institutions have enacted policies. I even read that in India, Walter Thompson Amsterdam opened a school called Do for Justice where survivors of sex trafficking are educated to become lawyers. The entire program is expected to take about five to six years for each girl to complete and the women will then graduate with law degrees with a special focus on commercial sexual exploitation cases. Now, um, it is hoped that one day, those who go through the program will become prosecutors or even judges empowered to combat the criminals who once exploited and abused them. A way of combating this issue of sex trafficking is for governments and even experts to develop real ways of stemming these trafficking businesses. Because it's not enough to only enact laws that criminalize horrendous acts like these. They also need to take their efforts a step further by investing the necessary resources to make the laws work to prevent trafficking. And as I round up, I have a fact for you this episode as always. So apparently, prostitution is seen as a leisure activity in Spain. The country has become known as the brothel of Europe after a 2011 United Nations report cited Spain as the third biggest capital of prostitution in the world after Thailand and Puerto Rico. Hey guys, well done. Although the Spanish Socialist Party has promised to make it illegal to pay for sex, prostitution has boomed since Spain decriminalized it in 1995. And in the past 10 years, Spain has seen a surge of sex trafficking and recent estimates put revenue for Spain's domestic sex trade at about $26.5 billion a year, with hundreds of licensed brothels and an estimated workforce of 300,000. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me today. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you get notified of fresh episodes every week. Till next episode, stay safe and use your mask. Bye.